0: Welcome back to the WTF1 podcast. I am your friendly neighbourhood host, Dre Harrison. And with me on this edition of the show, we have Kieran Oaks with me. Hi, Kieran. How's it going, big man?
1: Oh, it's going very well, thanks. How are you, Dre?
0: Doing very well, my friend. Doing very well. Soaking it in as we get ready for Australia this weekend. And a
1: fantastic sleep schedule that's going to come with that. <laughs>
0: yeah. look, look, as a filthy European, I can't <laughs> really complain about this one too much because let's be honest, we know the sport leans British, leans European. So that we get two or three crummy rounds a year. This is like it's like Australia and Japan that are two real bad ones. You know, well, you just... it's,
1: it's nice for the Australians to have their chance at a normal schedule as yeah, well so yeah. it, to any listeners from Australia enjoy it this weekend you deserve it absolutely um, we're sorry <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah to be fair i i know many Aussies follow me follow us on twitter so um i i know they're absolutely beaming at having a normal weekend rather than having to get up at like 2 in the morning because they're <laughs> 10 hours in front so um shout out to you guys hope you guys enjoy the weekend i uh, do do love australia great vibes for a, for a race weekend But uh, we've got to go back a little bit here because the main subject of uh, this podcast will be talking a little bit about dominance in Formula One. And before you groan and leave this podcast in droves, because this comes up almost every time a new team dominates, we promise you we're taking a different angle towards it than you may expect. Just trust me on this one. But we've got to talk a little bit about Saudi Arabia first, Kieran, because that's kind of where this is all stemmed from. I mean, Max Verstappen coming through from fifteenth to second pretty easily without any real contention. Perez running away with it, you know. Fernando, Fernando's already getting like big Luke Skywalker sort of vibes that he's our only hope, and he's getting all the content and all the all the positive energy because he's clearly the number three guy at the moment. I mean, there's no getting around it. Red Bull are kind of running riot here, haven't they?
1: Yeah, it's and the thing, the thing that's very difficult to sort of approach from an understanding point of view at the moment is just how dominant is it because they're not being pushed. Like we, we haven't seen the Red Bull have to battle with someone. How many extra tents have they got in that car? How many engine modes are we not seeing? And that's kind of, that will become apparent, I think um, as other teams hopefully catch up, but maybe not, maybe they can cruise the whole season because I mean, I, Look, I will say I, I doubted Perez. I doubted him on the off-season. I doubted what he'd done before for the team. But he looked strong as hell. He looked impressive. He looked dependable, reliable on Sunday. Um, Not Sunday, the last Sunday. When the race was, that Sunday. Um, And when, when you come away just with the only conversation point really being, oh, there's a rivalry between these two drivers in the Red Bull team. I mean, obviously there is. And there are some stuff behind the scenes that maybe isn't as rosy as they'd like it to be but when you come away from a race weekend and that is your talking point and the second race of the season, that's a bad omen for the rest of the season in terms of excitement or any potential changes to this order and it was just a dominant performance I mean, I, I, I think Max, did Max have it in him to maybe push further up than he did? I don't know, but it's kind of irrelevant just Red Bull 1-2, I think we're going to be seeing a lot this season
0: yeah, I, I can't disagree with any of that. I, I know you've been a bit cynical towards Perez on certain HTW episodes. And I'm yeah. like, look, I, I, I always understood to a degree where you were coming from. I always thought it was a little bit sus that Daniel Ricciardo was just there as a reserve. But no, this, like if Perez has more weekends like that, then Red Bull's going to have no problems on track whatsoever because that's exactly what you hire Perez to do. I've said he's more a de facto number two because Max is just that good. And if if Perez can clean up comfortably, I mean, if ignore Max. You're looking at the Perez versus Alonso matchup more because that was really a fight for the win in the end. And Alonso was 25 seconds back, e- even after the penalty and or the w- penalty slash not penalty that we got um, being the other major talking point coming out of Saudi Arabia. I make it over a minute combined that Alonso was lost out to the two Red Bulls that have beaten him since... You know, since the season started and Max came from 15th. And even during that Max comeback, it was pretty clear they weren't going that 100%. They were taking it easy into some of these DRS zones and setting it up, um, setting up passes down the main straight rather than turn 27 at the back. It's, I think Red Bull still is holding something back in reserve. And that's probably the most terrifying part. I think
1: the one. I I think, I think like Alonso is a better driver and on better form than Perez. But my issue with Perez was always that he wasn't holding up his end of the deal in the Red Bull. Sure, Because I said, there's no way in that car last year he shouldn't have finished second. And now he seems to be doing exactly what he should be doing. In the car, you are finishing above everyone else. You're not going to beat Max when he's on a level playing field with you, but he's doing exactly the job. Like you say, that's his role and he's nailing it. The problem comes afterwards if there's this idea of, oh, well, I can win this now after winning a couple of races. That's where Red Bull's issues come, but other than that, yeah, he's doing exactly what he should.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely yeah, yeah that's absolutely fine. And yeah, I, I completely agree with you on that. That like I said, Perez is just Perez is holding up his end of the deal. Max, again, I still think was going at about 80% of what he could have done. Um, and then I think when he started getting the I call it the ghosts in the drive shaft, um, about whether that was a problem or not. I I think that's where Max was like, let me just get these points, and which is understandable given we're in a title fight. Yeah like you said that was the number one takeaway from all of that all the drivers might fall out even though we have prior evidence that they already have mm-hmm. on multiple occasions and there's been a lot of third party discussions as well so yeah that that's inevitable but you know it's 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 obvious the rebel have cracked it and i always said that the cost cap penalty that they had going into this season wasn't going to hurt them really until next year, and it looks like that's held up, because it's easy to forget, Kieran, they stopped developing their their last year's card, the RB18, after the summer break last year, which should have been an inkling that They've, they think they've clearly got something here because you don't shut down development halfway through a season. And then Red Bull would go on to win nine out of the last 10 after the break anyway. Well, um, the Mercs won two in Brazil being the only outlier that Red has got something special here.
1: Well, I think it, it's the huge benefit of going into new regulations. And if you end up halfway through the season, quite clearly going to win the drivers and constructors is more than likely then you are in such a good position for the next bulk of years until those regs change massively again, because everyone else is playing catch up and you can be preparing ahead. It's like finishing your homework um, or, or finishing. Yeah. Finishing your homework on the day you set it. And then you can start on the next bit of homework whilst everyone else is panicking to get the, the, the rest in last minute and try and improve it. But if you're smashing it out straight away, you have so much time to like sit back and plan for the future And that's the problem with a Ferrari or a Mercedes. They've got so much catching up to do in the season. By the time they put all this work in, all this effort in and improve the car by the last race of the current season, you then got to compete next year with a car that's already made those improvements and it will improve from that. And I think the cost cap penalty, if that affects Red Bull this season, it will be during development later on in the year. And, potentially that could try and level this all out. I know that in any way they will get less wind tunnel time for being Constructors' Champions, as we know, mm. but maybe that will be the hit that is required to bring this back together. And if it's not, if they are still ahead at the start of next season, then that's a few more years of this complete up utter dominance. I can't see any other way around it.
0: Yeah, it would require the FIA Putting out like technical innovation bands here and there. Like because they did this with Red Bull the last time they were really dominant, like the F-Duct, for example. I remember that during the V8 era, where you know, once Red Bull it was becoming pretty clear like in 2010 2011 that Red Bull had the best car, they started coming up with little ways to try and curb them because we knew that they were busted. And it still didn't work in the end. But um they they tried. And we saw it with Merck as well. We've had like Merc's. And that's what we want to get into a little bit here. Mercedes, even at like, it's hard to ignore that they were dominant for a good eight years before we got to 2021, you know, even 2021, I still argue Merck's probably had the stronger car by the end of the season. And you know, Red Bull were scratching at the end of that season, and they just about got over the line from the driver's standpoint. Again, depending on who you ask, um, <laughs> and the constructors, they didn't win, uh, but that, that still went to Mercedes in the end. So, and that's where the prize money is. So, we've had two, we had two big sets of regulation changes during Mercedes' run of dominance there as well, and Merck's still dominated. You know, it, it took eight years for the field to really close in on them. And even then I still argue they had the best car. So we got to talk a little, we wanted to take a different angle to this approach and see that. Yes. Okay. Red Bull are dominating, but what about the other side of the coin here? I mean, their two strongest competitors are to me, Mercedes and Ferrari and has anything good, come out of their camps to start this season. Has anything could come out of their camps for the last season and change <laughs> right now? Because it just, it feels at the moment like, I think people are, they're focusing on the blue-coloured elephant in the room, which is Red Bull's dominance, but I don't think as much is being talked about their rivals and their struggles.
1: Well, I, th- I said this, we were at the pub yesterday and I mentioned this. I, I think we are giving Mercedes too much credit I think coming into this season and I, I was one of these people where I was thinking Mercedes is going to be back this year. They're going to win. I think I predicted winning half the races, winning the yeah. constructors. And <laughs> I feel like an absolute idiot because I, I gave them far too much credit. And I think there's this thing of, and it, it's kind of like um, 2014 where it was sort of like, Oh, Red Bull, like they've dominated for so long, they'll get back into this very quickly. And whilst they sort of remained around the podiums inconsistently mm. it's it's this thing of regulation changes and changes to the sport domination doesn't come into that previous dominance doesn't matter it doesn't give you a right to anything and mercedes proved that last year but we all gave them these excuses and going oh well, well next year will be the one because they've got i think the best driver pairing on the grid um right. i would still say that but maybe less convinced from Hamilton's perspective than I was a year ago. Um, but there's just it's just easy to expect them to come back and absolutely nail it. And I I just don't think they've got it in them with this car. I think there's so much work that needs to be done. They've fallen so far behind. And granted, I, I think it's over the top when Toto Wolf is saying this is oh, this is the worst thing we could ever have been through. Because I mean they're still in a car that's going to get podiums this season. Like that it's not an awful car by any means, but by Mercedes standards, obviously it's a massive disappointment, but I just don't see any way back into it for them over the next few years. Because like I say, it's that whole thing of playing catch up. Um, and Ferrari, it just, honestly, it just feels like a carbon copy with Mercedes and Ferrari. What we saw last year it feels like the Red Bull, Red Bull have got their act together. They're doing well. And obviously Ferrari had a bit of a better start last year, but when you you take in a grid penalty in the second race of the season because of engine reliability issues, like wh- what is happening? Surely that should have been the main focus. Surely they would have wanted to aim to be a, a little bit slower this year, but reliability not be a factor, strategy not be a factor. Because then you can build from there. And when you've still got these sort of problems lingering around lingering around so early on, you're putting yourself in the backseat again. And I I accredit a lot of what we're seeing and a lot of this positivity about how far ahead Red Bull are. I accredit a lot of that to Ferrari and Mercedes. I think they've let themselves down. I don't think they've made the progress they've needed to, and I don't think they will. I think Ferrari's more understandable because you've got Vasseur who's come in. He's got to change the whole, whole operation of things, and that'll take time. That's more of an adjustment period. But Mercedes, I don't, I don't really have an excuse for them. I am I, disappointed in them, and when a team like Aston Martin is using your engine in such a such a promising and exciting way, then that shows you have really messed up.
0: Yeah, there's no getting around Sorry, it. Sorry, I,
1: co- I covered a lot of ground there. I apologise. No, no,
0: that's that, that's good. So, uh, speak your truth. Um, uh, no, no, I, I, it's frustrating. All... No, I, I don't blame you. From a sporting standpoint, it is frustrating. I mean, let's talk Mercedes first. Let's break it down a little bit further. I completely agree on what you're saying. And I think Mercedes, to a degree gets away with it, we should be evaluating Mercedes in the context of major championships. They had the most dominant run of form in this sports history. No one has ever won eight straight constructors championships in Formula One until Mercedes got here and nailed the turbo hybrids when they first got here. That's the level we should be evaluating Mercedes on not getting the occasional podium or one-off win over the course of a season. This has been a disaster for Mercedes that they They went for a moonshot concept with the Zero cypods idea. The whole idea of Zero cypods ended up going viral on social media last year, thinking, oh, wow, this is going to be a performance advantage locked in for years, and it's ended up being a complete embarrassment with egg on their face and going from, god, I want to say they had 11 wins last year or something like, or 11 wins last year before this regulation change and then going to one the year afterwards. That's a disaster. That is a complete disaster. And like, I, I mean, we mentioned it on video as well, but I said that look, Toto wasn't prepared to throw in the towel on this side pod concept concept um, and suspension layout concept. And I think, if anything, the end of last season probably gave them some false hope in regards to that because they felt like, oh, maybe there's still something in this if we can win the occasional race and build on it. And then they got to Bahrain last year and got, got their cheeks clapped um, by, by Red Bull. And, um, Hamilton was 50 seconds off the win that day, and Toro was like, "It's one of my worst days in racing." And I'm like, "Like, I, I, I'll be honest with you, I can't stand some of the melodrama that comes out of Mercedes oh, camps sometimes. God. Like, like they, they, it's like." You do realize that most reasonable people are playing the world's smallest violin right now. Given you literally ran the sport over for eight years, and even then they were trying to play down just how good they were. It was nonsense. Like they they they, they turned the sport into roadkill for almost a decade, and now you're like, oh, woe is us. You know, we need we need to we need to balance the books here. And Soto's so, I think he said the other day that they they need a year now to catch up on Red Bull's aero knowledge. So. You might as well chalk off this season because that's not happening. You could very well chalk off next season on top of that if it's going to take them a year just to have them think or you know, they could close up on Red Bull in terms of what do they know about Aero and these sets of regulations. Oh, and by the way, their star driver is a free agent at the end of the season.
1: It feels, and forgive me for uh, mentioning football here, Uh, there is a purpose for it. So I play a lot of a game called Football Manager, where you sort of you manage a football team, you make sign-ins and all this, whatever. And what it feels like to me, this Mercedes period is, say I've won the, I've won the league three, four times in a row. The team very happy. It's easy. It, it's become easy. Obviously, complacency then hits in, and something will happen. Suddenly, you're not quite performing, and then you realise all the problems you've got you realise you've got ageing players who are going to be at the end of their contracts, which obviously, that's a Hamilton reference. It's very clever. I'm going somewhere with this. (laughs) But you suddenly realise, after one blip, you realise so many things you've maybe not been keeping focus of or your priorities have been split in the wrong way. And part of it, I think, is down to Adrian Newey because no one has an Adrian Newey. Aston Martin kind of have Adrian newey light in Dan Fallows, but no one seemingly anywhere else in the field can just provide what he can. So I don't know if it's a fair fight at any point. I don't know if anyone can match that. But it just feels like Mercedes, like if I've had a really easy football manager save, just got complacent. And now it's just scrapping to try and remain where they were rather than being incredibly realistic and going, okay, you know what? We're probably out of this for a few years, but let's really just focus. Let's make sure we don't do a Ferrari. Let's make sure we regroup, we rebuild in a practical and realistic manner, but that will get us solidly back to the top. Because I think they've done the wrong thing and they're trying to put plasters over these cracks last year. And at the end of Drive to Survive, oh, everyone will have a target on their backs next year from Toto. Well, maybe you should be a bit more realistic about your position and then you can make productive and genuine improvements to the situation because at the moment it's all this... It's short-term promise. That's what Mercedes seem focused on. It's like, oh, don't worry. Like, we'll get a podium. We'll get a win. Maybe that's really not what you should be focusing on right now. And maybe you shouldn't be worried about what Team LH is going to think on Twitter or anything like this. It's about the future of your company within Formula One, which feels like that that could be at stake here in terms of where they will be for the future. This show is brought to you by
0: Athletic Greens. We all know Formula One drivers are great athletes, and great athletes have one thing in common they take care of their bodies. Now, I appreciate the majority of us can't claim to be world class athletes. I, for one, can certainly agree with that, but that doesn't mean we can't look after ourselves like we are. That's why I gave AG1 by Athletic Greens a try, because I wanted to support my immune system and sustain my energy levels. AG1 is so much more than a greens powder, it's all of your key health products in one. I take AG1 in the morning and it makes me feel ready to take on the day. It's just one small scoop of AG1 and a glass of water. It's that easy to cover your nutritional basis. If a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash WTF1. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash WTF1. Check it out. If you're a factory in, a, in in this sport, if you're not winning, you're surviving. And if Merck slipped to the point where it could be third or fourth in the Constructors by the time this year is all said and done, I wonder how much Toto wants to keep his two-thirds control in stake in this team because I know Jim Ratcliffe owns a third of Ineos. He owns a third personally, and then he basically is in charge of the Daimler Group's other third. Um, I wonder how keen they'll be to stick around if they stop winning um, for a a good two or three year period. And who knows? There's no guarantee to get the 2026 regulations right either. Um, And if what happens then? And there's there's question marks about a lot of what's going on in that Mercedes camp. And I, I completely agree. Like, writing cringy open letters you know don't get me wrong to a degree some of it is vindicated because some of the people that send their admins crap on social mm. media you know absolutely need to be clapped down and, and 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 mitigated because people take this sport way too seriously sometimes but at the same time it also is a little bit cringy that you're you know recording team debrief saying, yeah, we love the energy in here. And then you'll go into Saudi Arabia and then getting smoked again. I just, it's just, it's no one's buying it at at this point. And yeah, it's, it's not going to give off any sort of impression that you're going in the right direction as a team. Speaking of not going in the right direction, Ferrari. (laughs) And (laughs) um, Ferrari seemed like, I can't remember the last time Ferrari had such a quiet weekend in Saudi Arabia. I mean, sixth and seventh, they were a little bit caught out by the safety car and the timing Mm. of it. Like they, I think strategically, I think they were fine in this race. And they, they, they managed to pull off the overcut on Lance Stroll and that was going well. But then of course, Stroll's car dies, unfortunately. Um, And then the safety car comes out and then Ferrari gets caught with their pants pulled down. Not really their fault. It's just one of them things, but it's not a good sign when, as you said earlier, They've already taken a power unit penalty on Leclerc's going They had to replace their entire ICEs on both cars you know, at the start of the weekend. So they're already on their second where that's concerned. And then on top of that, Leclerc's having to shut down rumours about internal meetings and team drama as, on, at the Thursday press conference. I feel bad for Fred Vassa, man, because he's walked in, and it looks like his fight, like his final parting gift from Benet- to Mateo Bonotto was another crubby car.
1: Yeah, it's it. It is a shame because, like I said, you've got to give Fred leeway on this season, at least for the first half of it, because you can only take over what you are given. Um, and I think what what Ferrari have tried to do is match Red Bull on the straights, but have just lost lost the downforce required to get around the corners, maybe where they were sort of beneficial last season. And you're trying to play catch up with a team who is running completely efficiently. Red Bull are running perfectly at the moment. Um as it's as it looks from an outsider, from all we know, everything is going exactly how it should be. So it's really difficult. It's a really difficult position to be in when you're trying to rebuild and compete with that. And I don't think it's realistic. That's the same. Same with Mercedes. I don't think it's realistic that Ferrari are going to be in this at all this season. Maybe a couple of wins here and there, but they just look unremarkable. And the one thing, the benefit I will give Vasseur and what what he's done so far is he's been keen to get rid of strategy errors. We've seen this with the appointments Jane come in, and we've had two races. Nothing has gone wrong strategy wise, which. It sounds like that shouldn't be congratulated but we all know what happened last year and that if you individually remove the errors that you had, you're going in the right direction, but you're not going in the right direction fast enough to appease the bosses at Ferrari the Tifosi, the people who are expecting you to be there consistently and I think Leclerc had a very good drive, I think he worked his way through the field pretty convincingly with what he had, obviously not Drifting through as easily as Verstappen, but he's not in Verstappen's car. So I, I think he did a, a good job at that. Science ah, fairly unremarkable. It's kind of how I feel about him generally over the last couple of years. I I think he's, I'd say he's been a little bit disappointing. Twenty twenty one, I thought he had a solid end of the year, but I don't know. He doesn't particularly inspire me as a driver, and. You've, you've got these guys, they need to have faith in the car, and if you know at any point something's going to go wrong, the engine might go, or you might have clutch problems, which Leclerc was um, complaining a little bit about last week, then sorry, throttle, then how, how are they going to be pushing around corners, like finding every inch of the track confidently, especially in a circuit like Jeddah? You need to have full faith in it, and if you're constantly worried your engine might go, then how can you react positively to that? So I don't know. I, I'm more I'm more inclined to give Ferrari benefit of the doubt sure. and give them more time. But as I said in the off season, their problems are so much deeper than just strategy or engine. It's the whole way they operate as a company, the whole way they make appointments, the whole way their staff is focused. It it needs a lot of clearing out, I believe. And that's not a one season fix. The
0: Bonotto regime was a failure. There is no getting around that. And I think people, I think people felt bad for him by the time he was let go towards the end of, of last season because he got the he got the peak football treatment of we have full confidence in Bonotto. These rumours are not true. And then they sacked him anyway three weeks later. And you know, I think by the end of that tenure, people started to feel a bit bad for him, which is understandable. And I, I will never. I will never try to snuff out empathy because I think it's a trait we all need a little bit more of in, in, in life. But it's easy to forget that Benotto inherited the second best car in Formula One when he got the job in the first place. I think this was in 2018. And he dipped hard with this team and he spent most of his time chasing his own tail, trying to put it back up. And Fred Vasseur, who I don't think gets enough credit as a team boss in Formula One, has done did a fantastic job gaming the system of Alfa Romeo last year to finish sixth. That was a really, really good season for Alfa Romeo. He's done great work with ART in developing younger talent as well in the juniors, including his now star driver Charles Leclerc in the first place. So he knows Charles well. Um, he's I I think he's one of the most respected and good team bosses the sport has. And understandably, he wants to clear out the last regime that was a failure. And I find it alarming that it's pretty clear they had a mole in their camp because we were getting all the, the leaks coming out of the, I think it was the Italian side of motorsport.com um, talking about, oh, well, Fred wants to get rid of this. He wants to get rid of the whole Bonotto regime. To which I say good because, mm. because that failed. Like their their aim was to win a championship, and they failed at every every opportunity. And they had cars that were good enough to contend. There is no question about that in my mind. So I don't blame Fred for wanting to go in and try to. I mean, what he said when he first got the job of I don't care about what went well. I want to go in here and fix the you know what that went badly. That's exactly the sort of attitude you should be having as a team boss because the execution of ferrari was the problem last year not necessarily the car i think they could have easily won eight or nine races last year if they just execute better um i think they were i think they were crippled by the porpoison amendment after the break but the first half of the season i think they genuinely had the best car in formula one and yeah i don't blame fred for wanting to clear to clear out the crap in that sense and the one that really got me was Carlos Sainz. Sainz spoke very openly and I wrote a story about this it, on the website wtf onecom about how Sainz had made a it was very open about the issues with the car and <laughs> it's the same issues that they had last year. Tire degradation, tire degradation was a major problem last year. It's a problem again this year. They can't get the most out of their tires. And you know they they struggle following cars in dirty. yeah, so that is another problem that's carried through from last year. And signs tried to be optimistic in saying that oh you know we're working around the clock to fix it and then we know it's a problem and at least we know what the problem is. but I saw their lap times. They were running pretty much exactly the same race pace they were running last year, which says to me this team has made no progress in a full in a full calendar year. That's alarming. And because Red Bull have clearly moved the goalposts another three, four tenths of a second to the point where we're now talking about them potentially running the table. And Ferrari are probably going to go winless, which is alarming to me.
1: Yeah, I I think that's completely realistic. I mean, the question of will Red Bull win every race? It's a, it's a possibility. It's a genuine possibility. But who looks likely to maybe take the odd one? It's Aston Martin. Um, a team who really have no right to be in the position they're in, but they are. They've done the exact opposite of what uh, Mercedes and Ferrari have done. And I guess it, it is beneficial in that sense to be coming from a team down the grid with low expectations. It's easy to build then and to suddenly surprise people. It's easier. Sorry, it's not easy to do. But you can be working on things and you can write off a season so early. You can write off 2022 and go right all the focus all the money on the next car here's what we've learned here's who we need to bring in to make this happen you can do that but mercedes and ferrari have this thing of they need to be getting some sort of results so their fans are happy but then you're compromising your genuine improvement that you might be making because you've got to push till the end of the season in terms of um development whereas for like mercedes and ferrari i think it's beneficial at this point to just almost do, do what Red Bull did right off the season in summer and fully focus on next year, fully focus on the next concept. But would their fans be understanding of that? Would their investors be happy with that? Probably not. It's a short-term financial um, game, Formula One. Um, so that's why Aston Martin, have, have there was no pressure on them because there's no investors really to please. It's just Lawrence Stroll wants to do what he thinks is best. And I think it's worked out this season. So... Yeah, I think it could be winless for Ferrari, and despite what I may have said literally a month ago, um, winless for Mercedes as well.
0: (laughs) It's understandable. Like people get optimistic in pre seasons. It's what I just want it to be. Yeah, I want
1: it to be positive. I want it to be positive. Not not about Mercedes in particular, just about the sport. I just wanted a really exciting, close season. But you know, they come around once in a blue moon, don't they?
0: They do. And it, we forget it's an engineering sport first. We'll talk a little bit about that towards the end. But you've got to talk a little bit about Aston Martin as well and the fact that they've pretty much leapfrogged both of these teams. It looks to us, if Saudi Arabia holds up, it looks like Aston and Martin genuinely have the second best car in the field in Alonso's hands. And two third places so far this season well you, you almost thought it was a third and a fourth depending on who, depending on what time of day it was in Saudi Arabia yeah. but if eventually he will get his uh, third place trophy from in Saudi Arabia I wonder if it'll be like the the days of Frensen and Raikkonen in 03 when they had to hand him the winner's trophy back um, if, you, if you remember that's one for you older fans out there um, but uh, oh, they, yeah they
1: definitely will because it'll be good social media content for oh, Mercedes yeah. and that's all they can really provide at the moment
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah that's probably well, this it's is true. funny,
1: guys. Watch, look at this instead of the results. This is funny. This is funny.
0: <laughs> look at this trophy. We're giving it to yeah. Alonzo with his, yeah. his his wrinkly forehead. We we, we <laughs> saw on, we saw on Twitter. Good you know, good stuff. Um, Dan Fallows can build a car. There, there is no doubt about that. And. Yeah, like we, we joked about the Green Bull last year. Red Bull were were, were very petty about it with the green cans at Catalunya. Like they, they didn't like what Red Bull were doing. I know that like that Horner and, and Marco have made their jabs regarding Aston It's oh, so always, it's great seeing you Neo know, the, the Red Bull concept, lock out the podium and you know, I I remember Helmut Marco in one of his rare moments of genuine fumour was like, Oh, looks like Dan's gone over there, he's taking his boys with him, and it looks like they've got very good memories, which I thought was quite <laughs> a funny comment. <laughs> um, uh, I'll, I'll give him that, but um, it's it's hard not to it's hard not to play down just how good Aston and Martin have been. Remember, they were the seventh best team last year. Seventh,
1: they're now it's, got a shot a second. It's mm. remarkable, and I think we've so we've so quickly become so accustomed to how good they are this year. It feels like we really should be spending months and months praising this this jump because it doesn't happen very often. A team like that, that much improvement under the same regulations is just astonishing. And yeah, it's it's Dan Vallows doing a great job at the school of Adrian Newey teaches well. Um, and when you've got the best car designer mentoring someone for so long, of course he's gonna pick up these things. And you sort of think that it's things that other people could from other teams could pick up other engineers or the designers could pick up and kind of implement. And I saw someone the other day saying by 2026, we'll just have 10 Red Bulls on the grid, which is it's is clearly the best approach at the moment, but it, it, it proves, I think that there's not a huge amount of difference in the engines. I don't think the Mercedes is particularly lacking. The Red Bulls obviously got a bit more in it, but that's no excuse for how far Mercedes are behind. It's all in the concept. It's all in the aero. And probably the weight of the car as well. Looks like the Red Bull and the Aston Martin are two of the lightest cars. Um, But these are things that, to me, they just seem like common sense. That's why it makes Mercedes more frustrating. We We know that you want to have the lightest car. We know that the Red Bull concept clearly was the strongest. So what have Mercedes been seeing in this data to to believe that this this concept they're going with and have decided to stick with for this season, bizarrely, what was in that data to make it seem like that was the way to continue, the path to continue going down? But we're talking about Aston Martin. I'm, I'll am i stop being frustrated with Mercedes. <laughs> absolutely phenomenal work by all the team. Oh, yeah. And such a, it feels like a team that's got that kind of Red Bull spirit. And what I mean by that is it's an absolutely brutal focus on winning or a brutal focus on succeeding. Everyone is in the team seems like they are well cared for. There's high morale. Um, just always seems like there's a happiness there now. And that makes such a difference. Like the morale of your team makes such a difference when it comes to performance and, and just how you all gel and work together. And that's one of Ferrari's issues, but it's one of Aston Martin's big benefits. They're riding this wave. And they are happy to do it.
0: You've heard me talk about how important it is to have a VPN to protect your online privacy, but choosing a VPN you trust is equally as important. ExpressVPN is the best VPN on the market. Here's why. ExpressVPN doesn't log your activity online. Lots of cheap or free VPNs make money by sending your data to advertisers. But ExpressVPN doesn't do this. And second of all, speed. ExpressVPN now uses Lightway, a new VPN protocol they engineered to make user speeds faster than ever. They'll let you stream videos in HD quality with zero buffering. The last thing that really sets ExpressVPN apart is how easy it is to use. You don't need any technical skills to get set up. Just fire up the app and tap one button to connect. That's it. Even your grandparents could do it. And it's not just me saying this. Business Insider, The Verge and many other tech journals rate ExpressVPN the number one VPN in the world. So protect yourself with the VPN that you can trust. Use the link expressvpn.com/wtf1 today and get an extra 3 months free on a 1-year package. That's expressvpn.com/wtf1. Visit express.com/wtf1 to learn more. Leaning in back into Merckx a little bit, it is funny how that sends out. Because like Lewis Hamilton said during pre-like during preseason, oh well, Mercedes aren't a copying team. That's kind of the problem here because the sport copies each other. That's just how the sport goes. That's how it's always been. You figure out what's winning and then you try to copy it. Like that's just how that's how engineering works. You know, of course, you could try and go outside of the box to try and mitigate a gap, but eventually. People discover what works and then they build around that and then it's that's why that's how the sport becomes a law of diminishing returns. Like that's that's how Formula One has always been. So to say, you know, to turn your nose up and say, oh well, you know, uh we we're, we're Mercedes, we can win it our way. Well, no. Not not necessarily. And their wind tunnel was telling them that this was all working. And it clearly is not when it actually put the car down on track, which is eyebrow-raising. The last time I saw a team improve this much overnight was probably Williams. 2014 mm. when, when the Turbo Hybrids began. They were down the order. I think 8th, ninth in the Constructors in 2013. The last year we had V8 V8 engines. The Turbo Hybrids began and all of a sudden Williams nailed the concept and they're running third, running second best team and then they're challenging for wins on, on, on the odd occasion. Like It's a shame because Williams just couldn't financially keep up with the big team. This was before we had a cost cap. Mm. but it reminds me a lot of that and how Williams out of nowhere just jumped up two thirds of the field with, with Bottas and Massa and all of a sudden became like the second best for uh, best team in the sport, alongside Red Bull, and were challenging for major honors in the constructors. So, yeah, it, it's it's incredible how much they've turned this around in a short space of time. It's amazing. A year ago, we were talking about morale being low. Sebastian Vettel had COVID. There was rumors that Lawrence Stroll was was bollocking the team staff and and all of those guys. And you know, morale was low. And you know, there was rumblings about Vettel's retirement and how it hadn't gone well in the camp. There was question marks about bringing Alonso in and it's all coming up Millhouse for for Aston Martin at the moment and fair play to them. It, they, they've done an incredible job. I do wonder, will they be able to hold it over the, over the next few
1: years? Because we talked well, you about... Made, I think you made the key point, cost cap. Mm. I think if you establish yourself, it's so much easier to hold on to that now.
0: Agreed. Yeah, because... Everybody's now spending the same, in theory. Um, we, we, Aston Martin's going to be careful about those tables and chairs because we, Absolutely. we I, uh, because I, I did, I did read about that was the other cost cap story that kind of went under the radar when Red Bull may or may not have gone over. Um, they did, but um, I mean, Aston Martin will end up having to fight this themselves because we talked about the wind tunnel allowances. I mean, Aston Martin was seventh last year. They, that is a, the exact one hundred percent CFD baseline figure. Let's say they finish second this year, which is very feasible by by the looks of it. That comes down to three quarters, it's seventy five percent. If you're if you're championship runners up, will they be able to hold on to that, knowing they've got less CFD time to play with? But then at the same time, Kieran, they might just shut down the venomment early if they feel like, hey, we've got a good car here. You know, we 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 could afford to ease off early. I mean, it works in different ways. But do you think Aston Martin can hold on to this?
1: I, I it, look, it's still early it's still early in the season and we'll have to see where it goes, where development takes us throughout the season but if Aston Martin are running second, maybe in a fight with Ferrari uh, by the midpoint of the season, I think genuinely a conversation, well obviously it will be had, but it's an important conversation to have Of go, do we, do we sacrifice this end of the season, like you say, focus on next year because we genuinely believe we could push Red Bull next year or we could genuinely push whoever's at the top of the field. But it, it, in terms of development under the cost cap, if they want to just push this season and try and get a comfortable second, take the money benefits, but lose a bit of the uh, wind tunnel time for next season, then may, maybe that's what they want. Maybe just establish yourself. Say, we finish second in the constructors. That could lead to some disappointment. And I think that approach, going to the end of the season and pushing as hard as you can, could lead to less staying power at the top, but it just depends what their approach is. Lawrence Stroll says he wanted to win a championship within five years. And I think it it seems look, people doubt him. And people have doubted him a lot. I've personally not been inspired by him when I've heard him speak. He's not a natural auto key reader for sure. But <laughs> he's proven himself. Everything he said he's proven. So I think that's I think they know what they're doing. So yeah, I, I think they've got enough now to get through and Stay at the top of the pack. Maybe maybe within the top three or four, but from where they were, that's phenomenal work.
0: Ultimately, before we get out of here, I mean, we're, I'm not going to completely ignore the most obvious question being asked by other media outlets um, and other big names talking about it. Ah, <clears throat> oh, pardon me. As the, as the season's gone on, is this good for the sport? And... <sighs> You know, I, I have varied thoughts on this, but I wanted to get your take on it first, Kieran. I mean, it's it's looking like Red Bull are going to run the field over. It's looking like it, we are get, we're getting a one car championship this year. Is that good? Is is that is that is that something that the sport can afford to have right now?
1: I have two different answers, and they depend on which on, on a further debate of what Formula One is now. Is it a sport or is it an entertainment? Which we talked about a lot. Everyone's talked about. It's not good for the sport in terms of entertainment. Um, not a, not a not at all. And adding in there, it's worth saying it's not been good for the sport when Mercedes were at the top of the field. And we we were chatting beforehand. Um, Sky Sports seem to have more of a problem with it now that it's Merse- uh, Red Bull rather than Mercedes. But that's a conversation for another day. But ultimately, this is sport. This is what sport is. It is. The best at what they do coming out on top and is it does it get boring does it get tiresome yes obviously but what is sport if you are not rewarding the people who are the best at it you know the best engineers the best manufacturers the best drivers the, what, the best driver i'll say but they are being rewarded for doing everything well and that is what sport is on paper so I would much rather have a sport that stays true to itself and you have this era of dominance, but it all pays off when finally other teams catch up and you'll get this flashpoint. And what I said earlier about once in a blue moon, you'll get a really close title race right till the end. That's what makes that special. I don't want manufactured close seasons every year because of various penalties that are brought in to punish Red Bull, bring back their development or whatever. I don't want DRS to be way more... I don't want their cars to be slowed down when they're in front of the field by 10 seconds or whatever was someone mentioned last year. It was just stupid. Don't punish people for being good at it, but try and level the playing field as much as you can. The cost caps help that. Um, I mean, to be fair, maybe it's not helped it because it it doesn't really give the teams at the bottom chance or an opportunity to get a financial sponsorship that can really push them up. But look, sport is sport and sport is about winning. And I don't think teams should be punished for that. And I'm, I would rather sport be true to itself. I think. What about you?
0: I feel like all sports have got to, have got to answer this question at certain points in their existence. It's that it's a very difficult balancing act between integrity and entertainment. And a lot of it can sometimes boil down to how much of that integrity you prepared to sacrifice for the good of the show. And, Look, seasons like this in Formula 1 are the norm. They are not the exception. People need to... Uh, I know a lot of, there's a lot of newer fans that have come in, and a lot of them have been uneducated, and that's not an insult, that's just what new fans are at the end of the day. Seasons like 2021, which obviously was incredible, even before you take into account the ending, that's not the norm for Formula 1. It's very rare that you get two different cars at the front of the field that are on a very similar level and can compete for a title. You look at, you look back in the last couple of decades, how many seasons were like that, where it was two cars, two different cars fighting for a championship? 2021? To a degree, maybe. 2017, 18 to a degree, a little bit. Obviously, Ferrari kind of let themselves down towards the end. Vettel had a few errors here and there. 2012? To a degree, 2010, you know, if you want to go back a little bit further, 2007, 2008, like that's a minority. There's no getting around that. And look, the sport is genuinely trying. And the cost cap, I think even with Red Bull being as dominant as they are, I still think this is one of the most competitive fields we've ever had in Formula One. The back half of the field is a bar fight at the moment between mm. McLaren, Williams, Alfa Romeo, mm. Alfa Tauri. Um, you know, the, the teams at the back end of the field are slogging for every point they can get because that's the way I think this season may end up playing out. Where the top five, I think, are pretty distinct. The bottom five could be fighting for minor points. So like maybe one or two points every weekend, and that could be chaos. It's still a close field. And that's one thing you've got to bear in mind. I think a lot of people also need to understand that it's an engineering sport first. And the problem with that is that we care most about the drivers because they're human. We'll always be more endeared by human stories more than engineering. And a lot of people aren't into that side of the sport. And um, not that I'm saying that you can't be, but from what I've noticed over the years, people don't look that deeply into the engineering and the mechanical side of the sport compared to just watching it at face value. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of this is a lot of this is also perception and biases. Cause as you alluded to Kieran, I think a lot more people were prepared to turn a blind eye when Hamilton was the one doing the dominating, because I think he's generally very well liked and very popular. Um, Verstappen probably not so much apart from his own hardcore fan base. So I think, again, people are going to probably kick up a bit more of a stink when it's not their guy at the front. That's, again, bias, whether it be conscious or unconscious. Ultimately, I think it's it's a luxury when we have competition in Formula 1 like this. And, yeah, I think the sport is going in the right direction in trying to curb this, but there is no substitute for mechanical excellence, and that's what Red Bull that's what Red Bull are at right now and it's going to take a lot of mitigation a lot of rule bending to try and bring them back in line with everybody else and that's how it goes sometimes in Formula we've just like I said we've just had eight years of Mercedes pretty much doing the same and we all got through that for the most part all right so I think we'll be all right somehow but but yeah, you know, don't don't tell the mainstream journalists to that because they might they they might crap themselves in a hurry. Um <laughs> personally. But uh any closing thoughts before we get out of here, Kieran?
1: Oh, just I hope everyone has a lovely day and the season continues to be exciting and I'm looking forward to Australia despite the wake up time. <laughs> and who knows, maybe we'll have a very different topic of conversation next week, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> One
0: can only hope. Um, he's been Kieran. Uh, I've been Dre Harrison. So uh, we'll see you around. Uh, Hot Takes Wednesday out tomorrow, and of course you can check out the WTF One Wrap by MoneyGram over the course of the Australian Grand Prix weekend. I've been Dre Harrison. He's been Kieran. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll catch you soon. Sayonara.